right. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey. And hi to everybody out there. Um, so Sean and Sierra and I are practicing responsible social distancing <laughs> at the moment, as you can see. Um, and if this is just audio, uh, what you're missing is three beautiful pictures of our faces. I don't know if I'd say beautiful, but uh, you're always I woke beautiful, up, Sean. I woke up out of bed and just rolled into here to do this. So, well, this regardless, a- everybody can check us out on our Facebook. Exactly. So, um, we really, really wanted to record today, but just with coronavirus and with um, us wanting to practice responsible social distancing. This is what we're doing, and this is new, so um, we hope that this works, and this is still content that uh, everybody can see, hear, get behind. And worst case scenario, if nobody ever hears this because we decided not to upload it, all we did was waste time today. So <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, so what do we want to talk about today, you guys? Well, I think first we should talk just a little bit about the virus as a whole, um, just why it's so serious that we are staying apart from each other. Um, mm. But then let's take it into a discussion about how the virus itself is impacting domestic violence cases around us. So basically, because my background comes from a public health background, a lot of the steps that are being taken are steps that we probably should have taken about a week ago. Um, But looking at the idea of where no one's going around in places where there's large gatherings, where schools are being shut down, all these are necessary steps in order for the disease to not spread as much. Obviously, people are going to get sick. Obviously, the, the disease is going to spread. But it's the thing that has been going around social media all the time, the flattening the curve. If we don't flatten the curve and allow for a lot of people to get sick at one time, so we have a large spike, that's going to overload the healthcare systems. It's going to start overloading um, a bunch of different areas that can't really take all of those people. So it ends up being a huge cost and also reduces the quality of care that everybody is going to get because you're going to have, I think the statistic, the number was when I was looking at it, like 20% of people who end up getting sick with the coronavirus end up using the hospital for some form of services. And if that ends up happening, that's now a large influx of people who are using the hospital. So everyone else who goes there for like the people who need dialysis, the people who just have the broken bones, the people who are pregnant, people who use the hospital services regularly or are normally just going to be there are also then receiving a diminished quality of care. So it hurts everyone. So by doing the social distancing and keeping everyone apart as much as possible, we're making it so that while, yes, people are still going to get sick, they're not going to get sick as quickly and as many at the same time. So it allows for them to kind of keep up as best they can easier. Yeah, it's a good summary. Um, For future reference, we are recording this on March 19th of 2020, so um, this coronavirus has updates every day, seems like even every hour, Um, and so what the current recommendations are, um, let's see, I'm trying to find the ones from the CDC, just so we can know where we're at. And while you're looking that up, Allie, 
um, I've been getting the text updates from the state uh, just every day to say how they're going. It's like they just made all the plant, um, the auto plants. They're all closing down. So we don't have those large groups of people being together while they're working. And it only happened because one of the auto workers ended up getting sick with the coronavirus. So they just closed them all down. So odds are they've probably infected at least some of their other coworkers. Um, and our current rate in Michigan right now is we have had three deaths as of this morning. Yep. Um, for some reason, I can't find the... I, I don't know why I can't find this, but I know that the CDC has recommended um, uh, limiting, you know, large gatherings and... Um, Anyway, so we just, we wanted to kind of intro why we're doing this episode or this recording, I guess, because we're living in a very unique America right now. We're living in a very unique world situation right now. And with that um, comes challenges for all of us. But one of the things that we've been talking about a lot in our field is the challenges that it brings to survivors in particular. Um because they're home. We're, we're being asked to stay home and self-quarantine. Um, so it's, it, it unique, it, it's a unique set of challenges. I think it's especially important to notice, too, that um, statistics show that 9 out of 10 cases of family violence happens either within the victim's home or within the home of their friend, neighbor, or family member. So... You know, when practicing social distancing and when trying to keep yourself away from the coronavirus or any other sort of illness, um, it does face a, it does put them at more of a risk in those situations. Yeah. And I think you send out, a, you sent out an article the other day, Sierra, where they mentioned like how domestic violence places in China had started receiving an influx of like calls or like reports of domestic violence. So I want to point out that quarantining or being in the same space as their partner is not going to increase the rate of domestic violence but their abuser now has more access to them yeah so they were already abusive prior to being quarantined but now because they have all that more access to them they're just being abusive they were already abusive before. They're going to be abusive now. But because they have that have more access to them, it can exacerbate the abuse. Right. Well, the other thing that that's important about domestic violence, and we've talked about in a couple of our episodes, is the fact that domestic violence is about power and control. Um, and so we're in a pandemic right now. And this pandemic is making all of us feel a little bit out of control. Um, but for people who abuse their partners, um, that that loss of control is exacerbated by the pandemic. And so what happens is any way that control can be exerted, um, it most likely will be exerted. Exactly. I was just going to mention that, too. I was reading an article this morning, actually, um, about that situation. And just like you said, in simpler terms, since the abuser is then losing more control over their own lives because they can't go and do the things that they would normally do or see the people that they would normally see, they have to substitute that in some way, which then falls on the victim, and they're then using them to gain more control and feel more powerful when we're all really in a very vulnerable situation with this pandemic happening. Yeah, and 
it's not that it's just going to we're not just going to see partners being physically abusive towards their towards their victims at this point either they're going to be able to use a lot of different aspects of the recommendations from like the cdc against their partner in order to continue that abuse so like withholding like hand sanitizer or like something like that from their partner making it so that they're now potentially even more fearful of what's happening just in general they're using that then to kind of control them so like oh if you do this then you can have that mm-hmm. well and another thing that's you know happening here in michigan particularly and we know that that there are other states that have done similar things, but um, our schools are shut down right now. Our governor um, declared that all schools be closed starting this past Monday, so uh, the 16th, um, which means that kids are home with their parents more than ever, you know, more than some families are used to. Um, which means that this could lead to an increase in witness to violence. Um, and it can also lead to an increase in um, abuse towards children if that's not the majority of abuse or if that's not the norm for a household. Um, so we want to, you know, we want to address that too. Another unique situation that's come out of schools being closed is for children who are already witnessing violence, they're losing access to their counselors. Um I saw an article this morning, once again, that there was a child who had called into the national hotline and was just explaining that, you know, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to cope because they're home with their mother and their mother's abuser all the time now. Um, And usually they would have access to their school counselor to help them cope with the situations that they're experiencing. And we're also looking at possibly seeing... um where their escape plan or their safety plans that they have created already or had been working on creating, well, now they have to postpone those plans or they have to try to figure out new ways around those plans in order to get out or if if that had been their plan and if they don't, if they're being forced to be quarantined or they don't have access now to the people who they normally do to talk to, like potentially coworkers or friends. The social distancing aspect is essentially doing the isolation tactic for the abuser. So now they have to come up with a whole new plan. Right. And as a country right now, we're there are worries about finances. Everybody is, is concerned about personal finances and the finances of our nation as a whole. Um, but that's another really unique concern for uh, survivors who are maybe in low socioeconomic statuses or who live, um, you know, week to week or month to month on their paychecks or perhaps are in the service industry, which we know is taking a huge hit right now. And um, this could really derail plans that they had to leave or it could derail, you know, their own personal savings that they were saving for that day or, Um, This could be a tactic that's used by uh, those who abuse their partners to um, more strictly control finances. It also might put them in a a place where they can say, well, I'm still working. So now that you're not working, you're going to have to do all of these other things. Or if you don't do these things, well, I guess you just don't get any money or don't have any access to this or don't get these things then that you wanted or needed 
So it's restricting in that sense as well. Right. Um, medical withholding medical care is also a tactic for those who abuse partners. And especially in a pandemic such as the one that we are in, not only is medical care important, um, you know, to stop the spread of the virus, um, you know, to be able to identify that, yes, this individual has coronavirus, COVID-19. But the reason we're all so concerned about coronavirus itself is because it's deadly. And for those who may be immunocompromised or the elderly, anybody who is in a more vulnerable health state and also a survivor, um, this could be a really lethal combination for them if their partner doesn't allow them to get the medical access that they so desperately need. I think um, access to care is something that we should mention right now, um, especially coming from three separate shelters who are going through this pandemic and are trying to make sure that us as employees are safe, but also that our clients and the um, survivors are able to have access that they need. We're also experiencing um, some really unique circumstances that we're trying to work through as well. Um, Obviously, in our positions, we are lucky enough to have the ability to work from home. Um, But there's some people who aren't able to do that. And so I think that maybe we should talk for a second about how um, moving to telephone conferences and telephone meetings and counseling services and things like that also has an impact on survivors. Yeah. So really quick though, to what I want to, um, you mentioned like the ability to work from home for us. If a victim does have that ability to work from home, it could also then be in a tactic that their abuser uses to sabotage their work or employment. Absolutely. So if they're told that they can work from home, well, all they have to do now is just make it so that they can't have access to the internet or they just cut the access off to that or they keep interrupting them while they're trying to work to make it so that their work ethic goes down even more than it probably would from working at home in general because I know my work ethic has slowed down a little bit (laughs) from being here right so they're cutting them off then from their employment so they might end up losing their job because they've been able to interfere so directly with the work that they're doing yeah that's a good thing to mention thanks Um, yeah, to go back to what Sierra was talking about, um, we do, we want to make it clear that agencies like ours, we, we all work at, um, domestic violence, sexual assault service agencies, um, agencies like ours are facing the same unique challenges that every business is facing right now. Um, but for our business in particular, our business is helping people. And right now more than ever, people need to know that there's help, right? So um, for example, at our agency, we have um, switched to working from home if we have the ability to do so. For example, myself, I don't meet with clients. Um, My work is generally presentations and in the schools. Um, And at this point in this pandemic, schools are closed and gatherings of 50 or more are banned. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm working from home and doing my work here. Um, but our therapists and our advocates and the people that are in our shelter very much still need services. And so what we've uh, switched to doing is we still have staff that is working day in and day out to address the needs of our survivors and our clients. Um, but we're doing it in new ways. For example, teletherapy, which is new and interesting and um, a secure way for survivors to access 
um, time with their therapist. And um, our advocates are maintaining, you know, the, our advocates that have to be in our shelter, they're maintaining all of the CBC recommendations. Um, there's increased cleaning. Um, you know, we're watching for signs and symptoms of COVID-19 and both our employees and our residents. Um, so there's ways that it's being mitigated, but we are absolutely still serving our clients, which is the number one thing to know. Absolutely. Yeah. Shelters are still, regardless of where you're listening to this from, domestic violence, sexual assault, human trafficking shelters, like they're all still going through those steps and the processes to make sure that they're able to serve those clients because we know that the abuse isn't going to stop because everyone needs to be quarantined now. We, that we know that their trauma isn't going to be postponed to being an issue for them until after this has happened, like after the quarantine is over. Right. So like Ali said, like we're coming up with new ways or ways that we can still serve those groups because we know they're still going to need those services. Like I know our hotline is still available. If anybody needed to call our hotline to have something, we have a text line so they can even text it. So like Ali said, like we have put in these place, put in these steps to make sure that we are still going to be able to best serve our clients and any potential victims or survivors who do decide to reach out during this time. Absolutely. And I think um, one just quick note to those of you who are listening or watching us, if you or somebody that you know is in an unsafe situation, if you have the ability to, start reaching out now, talk to an advocate, and start making your safety plan because as this virus is continuing to increase in its danger level um, and as there's the potential for more quarantine needs and things like that, do what it is that you can and help those that you care about do what they can um, to just find that safe place to go. Just We don't want anybody stuck in an unsafe situation for them. So if that's an option for you, please go ahead and start taking those steps and we'll go ahead and leave some resources as well as usual. Yeah. Absolutely. And oh, go ahead, make Sean. sure, to, and make sure too, that just because we just socially distance ourselves from people physically, doesn't mean that we need to stop communicating with them. People are going to feel isolated because we're stuck in our homes pretty much. Oh, dang. So, it's backwards. <laughs> such a good idea so it's well hold on Allie it's backwards for you it's not backwards for us oh it's not no no okay (laughs) it was still a good idea still worked um gonna leave that up there for a second okay just because we're apart from each other physically doesn't mean we need to be apart from each other socially still communicate with your friends check in on those people because they're going to feel isolated already and their abuser is going to use that to their advantage. So by you checking in on them, it still lets them know that they have people if they want to reach out during this time that they can, or they might feel more willing to do so knowing that someone is checking in on them or still talking to them. So and now more than ever is when we really need to be reaching out to those that we love and make sure that, you know, everyone's doing okay. <laughs> I thought that was such a good idea, and then I freaked out because it was backwards. You're so smart, Sean. <laughs> I didn't even all notice I, at first either. <laughs> all I did was tell you that it wasn't backwards. I, know. I don't know if that makes me smart, um, <laughs> considering it took us an hour and a half to figure out how to set this up. We were okay. determined for this, you guys. We really wanted to do an episode today, but we just we couldn't 
we didn't feel like it was responsible of us to meet in person and technology is so amazing. So here we are. So depending on how long this pandemic lasts and how serious it gets, we may be doing more of these. We definitely want to continue um, producing content for our podcast. We don't want to put a lull, you know, in our work, but um, you know, we're rolling with the punches just like everybody else. Yeah. So um, I guess thanks for listening and watching if you're watching this on our Facebook. Um, but I think that's probably all we have. Yeah. Right? Well, just once again, for anybody who uh, missed the clips of the hotline numbers that Allie had put up, um, once again, we'll post them. But there is a 24-7 call line at 1-800-799-7233. Or if you don't have the ability to speak safely, you can log on to thehotline.org or even text LOVEIS to 22522. And just so you know, there's there are resources available to you and we're we're here to help um feel free to reach out to our email or our social media Mm -hmm. accounts comment on our facebook whatever it is that works best for you yeah so follow us on um, facebook twitter and instagram at touchy subs pod um email us like sierra said at touchy subjects podcast at gmail.com we'd be more than happy to communicate with you on any available resources to you or what steps you may be able to take or try to help you out the best we can um so yeah yeah all right thanks for listening you guys everybody stay safe stay healthy and practice responsible social distancing (laughs) bye guys bye guys